Hello and welcome to the Behind the Headlines podcast, brought to you by Bristol's independent media, Bristol 24-7. My name is Betty Woolerton and each week we bring you compelling and fascinating conversations from people all over our amazing city, delving behind the headlines of Bristol's news, culture and more. In this week's episode, I spoke to Ola Poroslo, who is the founder of queer security firm Fat Bristol. I started by asking them how fat security all began. Um, so it's developed quite a lot over time. I think when we first started off a few years ago, it was intended as a record label. I wanted to get into music and do uh, mainly do management and look at promoting people in the queer scene and women who might have had that same advantage in music. Um, but then we started running our own club nights and we've ended up in a position where we're focusing on welfare and harm reduction and nightlife. Um, gender-based violence and we kind of do that through a welfare team and security. We've got like an actual manifesto which is, we've written this recently so I'm actually so proud of it. Um, FAT is a queer and femme security and welfare collective. We aim to employ people of all genders that are underrepresented in the security industry. We believe in the duty of care and harm reduction and strive to take an unbiased community-led approach. We believe in conversation and collaboration between us and you, the partygoers. We are here to listen, learn, support and safeguard in it with a non-judgmental ear. So it's kind of like a really broad umbrella, mainly because um, I didn't want to exclude the cis community in this, especially cis men. But I do also want fat to be an opportunity for people that are underrepresented in, this, in the industry to like have an opportunity of doing this job. So, yeah. And does it stand for something? Yeah, so it, we're actually trying to rewrite this at the moment. Um, but because of when we, I started FAT, it, it stood for Poland Has a Task, which was the first album that we released that was raising funds for um, women's rights and uh, reproductive rights and abortion rights and queer rights in Poland at a time where the laws were changing around that quite a lot. Um, so it kind of just worked, whereas I think at the moment it's quite, it's not, it's a like nice sentimental aspect of it, but I feel like we do need a little rebrand for. Um, we're working on something, so yeah, you'll see you'll see loads of new, like a big rebrand and for what it stands for, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, how did it evolve from from that to becoming like a like a security kind of? How did right. how did it change so much? Yeah. So, as part of that, um, when lockdown ended and we could do nights, I really wanted to do a queer club night, um, and it was based on this idea that there are obviously clubs on the scene that are kind of more catered towards the kind of like the, the, the stereotypical gen, the stereotypical gay community, especially gay men. And there wasn't really a lot of room for people, um, of like for my experience anyway, who maybe just identified as queer or maybe for the, like the lesbian scene and the trans scene. And I just kind of wanted to make it a little bit more about the music and the community side. So I started this night with Crotch. And a big part of it was that um, we would take queer events into spaces that weren't seen as queer and see what we can do there and introduce this like weird new look, not just to the venue, but to the punters as well. I feel like it really throws you off when you just see like this group of really visually, like, visually queer people. Like you're forced to like confront your own biases and what you think about these communities. Same for the queer people as well, like being surrounded by loads of cis men all of a sudden and like out and like, but being like, this is our space and we can have this conversation. So that was quite nice throughout the process. Um, I guess because this was my first time as a proper promoter on the scene, I found it so difficult working with security and I think I was quite blind to what it's like. I thought that security guards were only really bad towards you when you're on the night out and then as a promoter I was like there's still not much I can do do to stop this right now and I got assaulted by bouncers, there was members of 
um, the crotch team that got assaulted by bouncers and punters um, and you know you'd bring something to a bouncer as I'm sure we've all done like and they either ignore you or they shrug you off they you know refuse entry or you have to flirt with them on entry it's all of these really typical things that I feel like everyone's so used to but trying to make this I guess people say safer space for queer people with that barrier was so difficult and I just thought like actually I'm I'm just going to do security myself. <laughs> so it was a bit of that, and it, you know, then it, the crotch started running, and we had the welfare team run alongside that, which is actually a really big part of it. To kind of, I think before I thought we could do security, I thought maybe we could like bridge the gap between security and the promoter and the venue, because there seems to be this like gaping hole of like who actually helps you on a night out. Like security are too busy standing around or doing I don't know what they do really. <laughs> um, the bar team is usually rammed and they're really busy. Like there's no one really to go to that you trust to help you when you feel really overwhelmed or um, you know when you've done some drugs and you've mixed some stuff that you're not too sure about um, or your friends passed out or you feel a bit like a bit unsafe all of this these stuff that usually rant other like good people help you with on a night out that's where it came from and I was like let's have this welfare team that can kind of be like we call them guardians but it's just people that look like you that are punters the party goers that can just like be your mate on a night out and we're like trained in harm reduction and um, we know all about the drug combinations from Bristol Drug Project so like we're like the sober eyes and ears of the party um, and we found it so incredibly useful to have that kind of like buffer zone between security and like effectively the police as well um, I think it's made a massive impact and that kind of developed into security as well which is what we're expanding at the moment but the core stem of it is like harm reduction and light life with the welfare team so that's so long <laughs> so I guess like a lot of people who are listening have probably experienced what bouncers and security can be like as a punter what was it like being like a promoter and running nights like what was your relationship like with security then to be fair I feel like um, it kind of still felt a little bit like you're still part of the punters like it felt very much like an us and them I, I felt like I was siding with the punters a lot um, and maybe felt like I guess the security, I suppose, the team that you work with, like they work with you. They kind of effectively work for you if you're the promoter and for the venue um, and for the people. Like, and when that isn't felt, it's really difficult to say to people that are coming to your night, this is a sa like a safer space or we're creating the safe. Like, I don't want to invite queer people into a venue where I know I can't protect them. Um, and I have to say it's not all security everywhere all the time but there is definitely like a systematic problem with the industry um, that needs to be completely reshaped and, and dug out and people need to be given a lot of love and care actually to be able to like face that maybe a lot of the stuff that they're doing and their actions can improve instead of again what I was saying about the polarization and the cancel culture like it's very easy to just be like oh they're really horrible security I really hate them like it was horrible working with them but I don't think that we can move forward from this situation just by constantly calling each other out and never like having space to grow and learn from what we're doing wrong mm -hmm. and that effectively is the goal because you just want people to like actually have a good time on a night out so it's a bit of a long journey but yeah <laughs> so I mean this is quite a big question but why why do you think that there is a, like a systematic problem with security teams I think that it, it, um, a big part of it is the amount of training that you get and the course. I think the, the, the SIA industry as, as, a, as a whole is quite a, a new development. So I think it was maybe in the early, early 2000s, maybe late 90s, where this body 
actually came about to start monitoring this. Before it was just people who were the mates of the venue who were quite bulky, who would try and keep trouble out. Like it, it literally went down to that. So it's an industry that is based on solely cis men, which there's absolutely nothing wrong with, but it is because again, I think I, I think nightlife in general is or usually catered towards cis men. There isn't that many spaces created to make women feel safe. So. I think the whole industry as a whole is just kind of based on quite a lot of maybe like I say out, outdated ideas and outdated ideologies and there is so much room for improvement but I feel like people are willing to to do that and to, to reform those courses and to change them and make them a bit more I guess easily accessible for people like I know like the the current course doesn't really teach you about pronouns doesn't really teach you about gender or sexuality and um, I guess the equity side of these courses, like equity is like giving someone an opportunity, like it's not just saying you can also do it, but make sure they can feel included on that course. And when you're sat on a course with, you know, 10 men in their 40s, I'm really stereotyping massively here, but you know, these really bulky men who are not there because they really want to like care about people in nightlife, like a lot of the times it's a weird power play thing. And I think the, the course itself needs to be so much stricter in making it about harm reduction and caring for people and then you'll end up seeing better people on the door um, yeah but that is happening and there's loads of security companies currently who like are interested in what we're doing and are like realizing that maybe they need to train up on pronouns or gender identity and all of this it's just like a very much like slow work in progress mm -hmm. <laughs> so in like kind of practical terms how did you go about like set, like setting everything up? Like as someone with no like, I guess you didn't have any like direct experience like as a security. No, I don't. I've, I, I mean, I haven't had experience as a, at this point. I hadn't, but um, I don't. I don't really like letting things go. So if, say, for example, a night out, there was a security guard who hurt someone, or that I fell out with, or whatever, you know, there was a tense situation. Like, I wouldn't let that go. Like, I'd research the SIA board. I'd research what they're allowed to do, like, what laws they have, what they have to pass, and kind of, like, try and catch them out myself. Um, and then, you know, you go to the council, you go to the venue, and just kind of, like, push for it from the authority side and try and be like, look, I want to learn about this. I want to know um, how the institution works as opposed to just being like, I didn't like what they did to me on this specific night. Um, and I guess through that I just started learning more about the course, met some really incredible SIAs, looked into welfare as well and harm reduction and what people do at festivals that like would like Oxfam do a lot of volunteering like that. Um, found Bristol Drug Project and just started doing my own digging around what resources are there available to make people safer. Um, and then it's just the boring company stuff and it's just insurance and all of that and but that's quite that comes quite easily when I think it's like the actual nitty gritty of like why what do we want to achieve with this? Um, and actually, currently the Princess Trust are sponsoring us to do the SIA course for free. Um, it's actually really really it's usually quite expensive. I think it starts at about three hundred pound upwards. But the Princess Trust have this incredible thing on offer where anyone between the age of eighteen and twenty five who qualifies who's like I think it's. Um, maximum 16 hour contract or unemployed they can support you to get into these careers and they especially want you know people from the like underrepresented communities to get involved and the, the SIA course was one of these things so we got sponsored by them we're now doing that and yeah it's just like constantly searching for these opportunities that are about everywhere um, yeah mm -hmm. can you tell me a bit more about what it takes to be a bouncer in the UK and what the training course is like yeah so because I, I'm not on the course myself actually because so one of the the wonderful people that work with FAC called Lara, they're currently on the course and I really wanted to maybe get like an opinion from them about it. Um, 
but it's essentially like a two-week course where you study from I think it's nine or ten till six in the evening um, it teaches you like the laws the what you're allowed and not allowed to do so stuff about um, what's it called like using reasonable force um, I guess like de-escalation as well different de-escalation tactics stuff like that um, first aid as well they do like a basic first aid course there isn't really I think there's a couple of exams but I don't think there's that much that, that much more to I mean I also, also haven't done it so I don't want to be like it's awful but I don't think it's enough to try and get people to actually like work a door and, and get you there I think even the first aid course even though it's like uh, obviously it's great that they're doing first aid I think for what happens in nightlife there needs to be a specifically designed course for first aid in nightlife because obviously security is everything from security in shops to security in care homes or security in like you know for like oh, really private the course bookings. is the same it's the same wow so there's like different i think there's uh, two or three different levels to it mm -hmm. um in terms of like how much power you have for example but it's you get a security badge you can work in any industry and i think that's really crazy because if you're going into nightlife what you'll be required of there especially with like de-escalation and understanding how different drugs affect different people and why people might get angry it's so much it's so different than working in tesco's or yeah or a festival even you know mm -hmm. So what does what does fat do differently in your training? So I think the main thing is a lot of it is community based training. So it's the team of us we, we've come together because we all find ourselves picking up the slack from other people on nights out and looking out for them. And when we got together and started having these conversations, we realized that we actually know a lot of stuff and we've got a lot of skills we can share. So there are people like, for example, I'm really passionate about unconscious bias and about, um, uh, well, like I said, polarization and cancel culture. And that's a topic that I feel like I can help people with and learn about it and discuss and have these like really big in-depth conversations where you put yourself on the spot and like challenge your own biases and like doing that as a group for a couple of hours and like outing yourself with other people is really really helpful and we kind of do that as a whole um, everyone shares something different that they know um, we also do harm reduction training so um, that's with Bristol Drug Project so that's understanding everything about drugs and more um, and we do research that ourselves as well so there's a chart from the loop that has like a big table of different all the possible drugs and what kind of mixture you can have with what and how that will affect you and what is dangerous and not so we like look, go away and learn that and come back and talk about the mixtures that for example are surprising to us or, or we recently had like a role play session where we someone was pretending they were in a k-hole and what do we do in this situation because it's easy to say go and do it but like actually being put on the spot and having that interaction works so differently um, we do, we've done anti-sexual harassment training as well like the list goes on and on there's so much it's loads of different we were doing the, like the recovery position yesterday and who we can put in this position and who we can't um, anti-racism like all of these different these really big topics that I feel like really need to get spoken about more kind of that side of it um, and then I also rep that on the Bristol Knights board um, so that's obviously a really incredible organisation that's linked with the council that has set up this incredible it's not okay campaign um, so kind of like part of that as well and bringing all of those topics on board and discussing how that's relevant and what we do and how we would deal with sexual harassment on a night out um, yeah just seeing everything that can go wrong and what we would do <laughs> can you tell me a bit more about what you mean by polarization and cancel culture yeah I think um, it's so easy I think especially through 
how everything like we use our phones and you click on something a couple of times and you'll get that suggested to you all the time and I think the same thing can happen with anything from news to stuff that your friends share on their stories and a lot of the times it can you know even though for me like I try and put what I want on my social media but you know you still there's still like a limit of control over that and you end up seeing the same stuff and it's really easy to fall into one pattern and one group of people and say that everything else is wrong and really feel passionate about something but like forget how to see the other point of view and I think that's so dangerous in this in like our society at the moment especially in nightlife when you're dealing with topics like sexual harassment it's so hard to in that point be like oh I'm not gonna you know it's a, it's a trigger for me but I'm trying to understand it from the other side as well and how we can talk about this and how we can you know have this like reformative justice for the other person and what support they need and it's kind of putting yourself in that position all the time um, and I think that really helps especially on the doors with like um, what's it called like de-escalating a situation if you can really understand where that person's coming from and not feel this like hate that everyone has towards some group or other um, I think it really can change how people feel when they are confronted with some other situation um, yeah I think especially as well like the polarization thing with cis men like it's a this is a queer organization like we're focusing on supporting the queer and femme people but a lot of the times that means that there's quite an aggression towards cis men which is fully understandable but there's a bit of resistance and whilst that resistance is there I also want to be like approach people with open arms and be like let's just actually start having these conversations and see that we're all human first and foremost and then you know deal with those things that we actually don't like about each other mm -hmm. um, yeah before fat what were you what were you doing like are you from Bristol <laughs> no no You're not from Bristol. so I'm from Poland originally uh -huh. um, and I came to Bristol for uni I did religion and then I no, I did philosophy and I changed to religion um, I thought I was going to be a priest I still want to be a priest I'm still gonna do it at some point um, but because of lockdown lockdown happened and uh, I found the Bristol music scene whilst doing my degree and I discovered I was queer so when it all kind of happened at this one little cluster right at the end of my degree so I'd never finished my degree but I just started getting into nightlife and uh, my partner at the time was a musician so like a queer, my first queer relationship musician situation so I would think I was just like obsessed with everything and um, I don't know I just really want everyone to like be okay and feel good when they're out so I feel like I try and carry that energy into whatever industry and it's just ended up to being nightlife and music um, so I just started doing fat and then it started as a record label and now I work full-time in events so I work at Los Horizon and then I do fat and like Bristol Nights and I did the like the NTIA conference so like I really want to like try and have find room to have conversations about nightlife and not just organize it and run it I feel like that's the where I'm heading with it now mm -hmm. but yeah <laughs> can you tell me a bit about how fat has been received by event like by venues and by people um, it's a mixture I think it's a mixture I think some people especially promoters are really really supportive um, People in the queer scene as well. Like, there's we work um, events like PLU. Uh, we work Quirky as well. Um, Con Queer that runs at Strangebury. We've done Miskatech, House of Savon. So, all of these really big nights that happen in Bristol, we're all really, really supportive of each other. And these are the people that have inspired this whole movement. So, it's been really great to get in there. And I think some venues are really supportive. I think especially from the SIA side, like being able to 
have a company that like they can like invest in a new company that doesn't have this whole backlog of quite toxic stuff sometimes is I think quite a nice option which is why we want to do it um, but I think the welfare side of it actually isn't quite where I want it to be in terms of recognition just because I feel like um, both promoters and venues don't have a budget for this there's no like I work in events myself and I, I help promote you know and organize these events there's no pot of money anywhere for welfare you're not you're not just gonna have 150 pounds extra to spend on welfare so it's quite but like it, it it's taken like it's taking a lot to prove ourselves that we actually are necessary and how much of a difference it makes when we are there um, so that's been really nice and I feel like that's slowly beginning to spread and I think when people maybe they've heard of us and they don't think it's anything special and then they come to a night where maybe we're working and you know we get them a taxi home or you know their friend is sat with us or we've looked after their friend like they can feel that it does actually make a difference and if we had that standard across the city I feel like we'd be like capital of nightlife in Bristol in the UK if we're kind of not already <laughs> um, yeah yeah what do you think of like the current like welfare and security in like Bristol specifically at the moment um, I don't really know much about the welfare side. I feel like there's obviously uh, Bristol Drug Project, which, which are amazing, and there's a lot of uh, promoters that maybe organise these like sober get-togethers, and um, I know there's like Psycare as well. So they are, and like OTR, for example, another incredible charity that look after people like this, but I haven't really met any like anyone else who does like harm reduction in nightlife, to this extent anyway. Um, there's a group in London called Safe Only, which are literally incredible and I take so much inspiration from them they're kind of doing what we're doing and more they're, they've been running a bit longer than us and they also have this welfare team and then the security team so um, I can see it working in other cities I think Bristol just has a whole different vibe to it so our team is a, are very different and we work in different ways but um, yeah just haven't really seen it much before <laughs> how do you see fat evolving in the future um, it would be nice to like I think for a start, the having welfare in venues and it being something that venues want to invest in for, for one night, if they just want to trial it once and see how it goes, that would be incredible. I think it would be a really beautiful staple to have and represent, like I said, across the UK for saying, I know that if we go to Bristol, there's, they've got welfare people in every single thing, every venue. Um, in terms of the security, I don't want to be like, oh, I want to work every door in Bristol because there's so many incredible security companies who have hardworking people, but I would like to go in a step where we can start collaborating and skill sharing so the men that have been working door for ages and have we have so much to learn from them as well in terms of endurance and <laughs> seeing so much stuff on a night out um, but I'm sure they can learn a lot from us so being open to having these conversations and again be like becoming this collaborative city where security can actually work together and learn from each other would be great um, and in terms of like the I guess this is more um, like the the legal side, like le like uh, what's it called, um, legislation side. I really would like to get somewhere with reforming the SIA course. There's a really incredible man called Michael Kill who runs the Nighttime Industries Association, who also works with the Home Office on this SIA course. Um, there's actually plenty of incredible people who work on that and want to reform it. So like really pushing that with that and offering them like are on the floor, you know, working the doors sides. Um, if they were like willing to work with us and listen to us and like reform it, I think it'd be really great. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thanks for joining us on this week's episode of the Bristol 24-7 Behind the Headlines podcast. 
I've been Betty Woolerton, and if you do want to support independent journalism in Bristol, please do consider becoming a member for just £5 a month or £45 a year by heading to our website, which is bristol247.com. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode.